1: Welcome to Grace Freezer of the Bay Area. It's cold in here this morning, isn't it? We'll work on that. Unfortunately, we have no way of adjusting it in real time. We have to tell them ahead of time there's a computer and an engineer and all that. So we'll uh, we'll work on that so next week it'll be too hot. No, we'll try to tweak it a little bit. Um, But they do their best, and we're thankful to be here. Well, this morning... I want to begin by asking a question, and that is, what are you proud of? What do you boast about? Or as the New Testament sometimes put it, what do you glory in? There's a lot to choose from in our lives. It could be your job, it could be your finances, your children, your grandchildren, the educational background that you have or that your children have, their successes, the touchdown last Sunday, whatever it may be. There's a lot that we can find our glory in that we can boast about that we can be proud of even in giving God the glory at the same time and that is ultimately what we need to boast in because when we look at our lives especially as believers there's ultimately one main thing that God wants us to boast in and this morning as we continue our study in the book of James James will tell us what that is And in doing so, he will help us to evaluate our lives and see what we boast in, see what we find our glory in, and in so doing, tell us what is the right kind of glory for the Christian. I invite you to join me in James chapter 1, and this morning we are in verses 9 through 11. James chapter 1 verses 9 through 11, as we look at the right kind of glory. He continues again in the broader context of talking about trials, which he will again address specifically in the next verse, which we'll look at, or in verse 12 rather, which we'll look at next week. But starting in verse 9 in James chapter 1, he writes, "...but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position." And the rich man is the glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flowers falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Even without getting in the text, I think you know in the back of your minds, in your heart of hearts, what the right kind of glory is for the believer. And this morning, I want to give you two motivations for just that. Two motivations for the right kind of glory. The first motivation for the right kind of glory is the contrasting perspective. The contrasting perspective. Look with me again at verse 9 and then the beginning of verse 10. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. There's a contrast here. It seems almost to go against the grain of conventional thinking. If you're low, you should glory in what is high, and if you're high, you should glory in what is low. There's a contrast here. But when I say the contrasting perspective, I don't just mean that, I also mean it contrasts with the wisdom of secular society. And you know that we have come just off the heels of talking about godly wisdom, the wisdom that God wants us to have so that we may honor Him. Now this specific contrast between the rich and lowly is a common one throughout the Scriptures, Old and New Testament. And when we look at the context of the persecution that the original audience of James's letter is enduring, is facing, you can understand in their lives, in their hearts, though they are committed to the Lord, they are undergoing extreme, extreme poverty, and there may be a tendency to look at those who are walking by, who are wealthy, to say, well, I would be happier if I had that. My life would be easier if I had that. To look at the rich and saying, they have it all. God, why can't I have that as well? Maybe not even the chariots and the large mansions in that time. But just enough to eat. You see, the rich in those days, and even today, they don't have to struggle to eat. The rich are not persecuted as they were the Christians were. The rich don't seem to suffer with trials. And so Paul addresses the physical condition of these Christian Jews, or James rather, addresses the physical condition of these Christian Jews to whom he is addressing by talking about the natural human condition. And the natural human condition in our society is the haves versus the have-nots. And here... The Christians that he is speaking to, writing to, are the have-nots. He begins by saying that the brother, the Christian, who finds himself in a humble position, in reality, has a high position in which to glory in. And this low position, humble circumstances, or lowly in the ESV, speaks generally of a humble or low position. Here, James is specifically referring to their socioeconomic status. They are the dirt of society and they are dirt broke. They are neither high in the ranks in regard to finances nor in regard to social standing. The Jewish converts that James writes to would be facing ostracism, as we've seen before in the book of James, on top of financial difficulty, which for some would mean their survival depended on the charity of others. In other words, 2,000 years ago, our Christian brothers and sister in Christ had to beg to survive. And he tells those who are sitting on the dirt road, begging for money so they can eat perhaps a little bit of bread in one day. He says, glory in your high position. That seems strange to have this read to you by a leader of the church, the leader of the Jerusalem church, the physical brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, as you're wiping the spit off of your face from someone who didn't like that you were asking them for money. But James says, you are to boast. You are to take pride and joy in your exalted status. What status might that be, James? Excuse the smell of my own filth. You see, the status is not about their material or social wealth, which James just said they don't have. This is about their spiritual status in Jesus Christ. This is about their adoption as children of God. This is about their salvation. As we've seen before, it's not always wrong to boast in something. We typically think boasting is sinful. The issue comes down to what you boast about. To focus on the reality of what Christ has done for you is a biblical, God-honoring boasting. It is good to boast in God. That is what we are to boast in, whom we are to boast in. The sinful boasting, which we'll talk about a lot this morning, is boasting in anything of self, riches, position, those types of things. And so he says, you are to boast in God. You are to boast in who you are in the eyes of your Savior. And I do want to mention that, by the way, this is very different than boasting in your faith as a believer in such a way that you judge and slander unbelievers. Or, having such confidence in your faith that you look down on those who are not privileged, who are believers but not privileged to have found solid churches or been introduced to solid doctrine. We are not to judge them. And when we compare the difference between the mighty of this world And the wealth that we have as believers in heaven, there is no contest. We are the clear winners. And so you start understanding why even in their physical condition, their financial state, their desperation, God can tell them, glory in your high position. And what James is ultimately telling the poor is that their financial situation does not matter. It matters day to day. It matters when you can't feed your children, when you're undergoing hunger pangs, when you're too weak to walk to the house church. That's not what we're talking about. What James is saying is ultimately, in the larger scheme of things, when you weigh what really matters in life, your financial situation doesn't matter. Because you still have the only thing, the only thing worth glorying in, and that is your faith in Jesus Christ. It's not that James is looking for something to make them feel good. Oh, man, they're in a bad situation. How can I make them feel good about themselves? That's not it at all. This is the reality of the Christian. Because rich or poor, this is what we are to find our pride in jesus christ in the church we understand that we are all equal and that we are who we are because of god he may give some more than he gives others he may give some with higher gifts more public gifts but ultimately we understand that every spiritual gift every act of service any every penny in our bank comes from god he is the great leveler the great equalizer and that only makes sense to say that we're all equal, though some may be poor and some may be rich and some may be preaching for thousands to thousands and some may at best be a janitor in their local church. How are we all equal? Because it's not about the world's standards. We are all equal because we all have the same faith in Jesus Christ. When he spilt his blood, he didn't spill some fresher, cleaner blood for the rich and some blood from a lesser part of His body for others. We're all equal. And so in the church, we find our dignity not in our wealth, not in our social status, but in our relationship with Christ, in our membership in the family of God. And by earthly standards, if we happen to be wealthy, praise God. And we are to stop finding our boast or confidence in status and money as the world sees it. And understand that status and money only have value when used for God. Money and status only have value when used for God. We think there's value because it makes us feel good. We can buy things we want. We can live where we want. But there's no value in that in the eyes of God unless that money and that status is used for God. You have influence with doctors. Preach the gospel to doctors. You have influence in the CEOs of of the tech world. Preach the gospel to the CEOs of the tech world. Use what God has given you, where God has put you for His glory. Because only then do you truly understand and use where you are in this life, even from an earthly perspective, for His glory. Only then does it have value. And it's on the heels of that principle that James continues in verse 10 to address the rich man. He says, the rich man is the glory in his humiliation. Contrasting the world's view, especially in the Roman Empire, whereas the humble status was used to describe the poverty-stricken believer's physical state, it is now used to describe the rich believer's spiritual state. You see, what this means is that the rich man is not the glory in what he possesses on earth, but in his humiliation, he is to boast in the Lord, which necessitates a spiritual humility before his Maker. We are to be humble when we understand the Gospel. We are driven to our knees, no matter how rich, how powerful, because we understand that we are sinners saved by grace. The rich man, what James is saying, is to find his glory His boast in the same place that the poor man is to find his glory and his boast. Salvation. Jesus Christ. James will drive this point home in the rest of the passage, which he will, the bulk of this passage highlights the transitory nature of earthly wealth. But for us, whether you are the so called 1% or you are in the rest of the 99, you are not to take pride in possessions or position. You are to identify with Jesus Christ. If you find yourself in a lower position in this society, you are not to admire the rich because they are rich. And if you are wealthy, you are not to look down on the poor because you are rich. You are to glory in your position in Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. Paul writes, But may it never be, may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In nothing but the cross, not his riches, not his family not even His sacrifice in ministry, not even His apostleship, but in the cross of Jesus Christ. Part of this is recognizing that just because you have more, whether financially or spiritually, as I said earlier, you understand that it was something given to you by God. Yes, you might have put in the long hours in college. You might have interviewed for 20 different companies. You may have been uh, humiliated by your former boss to get that position. But you understand that in God's sovereignty, you are where you are because He has put you there. 1 Corinthians 4.7 says, Who regards you as superior? What did you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? In other words, stop boasting as if you somehow attained this yourself when clearly God gave it to you. And that is even within the context in 1 Corinthians 4 of understanding sound doctrine. Don't boast that you're better than the liberals. Don't boast that you're better than the charismatics because how do you know? Because you received it from the Lord. 2 Corinthians 10.17 But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. Period. Period. End of story. Look guys, it's not wrong to have much in this world. As we just saw, James shows us that there were those who were believers who were wealthy in his day. Not many because of how society was was structured back then, but there were some. But along with your salvation, you must understand that all things come from God. And when we boast arrogantly in ourselves when we boast as if it is of us James 4:16 will say that that kind of arrogant boasting is he doesn't say it's bad he didn't say he doesn't say it's unbecoming of the believer he says it's evil it is evil arrogant boasting is evil Boasting in the believer's life may not look like the kind of boasting we hear from the professional athletes or other celebrities on television. It can be more subtle like judging others or looking down on others. It may come in a form of hypocrisy where you're quick to rebuke but slow to repent. The whole point of grace is that we are not able to boast in ourselves. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you know it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift. Gift. Not wages. Not earned. Gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We must boast in God and humbly see the world as in need of Christ. Christ. Again, do not judge the unbeliever or his ways as if you had something to do with your own salvation. Yes, it should make us sad, frustrated, when we see how things are going in this world, when we see the things that are on the ballots. And how much support there is for that which God calls not only wrong, not good, evil, but murder. But could you honestly tell me that you wouldn't be having abortions outside the grace of God? That you wouldn't be running a Planned Parenthood? That you wouldn't be doing those things you cannot You cannot tell me that you would hold a job and not be addicted to heroin on the streets outside of the grace of God. You cannot tell me that. Because in your heart that has been redeemed by God, in your heart you are a liar, you are a murderer, you are an adulterer. So who are we? To boast in our salvation as if we are better than the world. There, but by the grace of God, go I. It is a gift. And as I mentioned earlier, not only is our salvation a gift, but so is our introduction to an understanding of sound doctrine. You didn't happen to stumble upon a church. You didn't happen to turn on the radio and hear R.C. Sprawl or John MacArthur. God put you there. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.26-29 For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not so that He may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. I'm a preacher of God's word, and I was once considered among the things that are not. But God showed his grace. Back to the text, more specifically to James's point. None of us here in this room need to beg to survive. I know that for a fact. Most of us, however, do not consider ourselves rich by social standards, by California standards. But all of us are tempted to look at the wealthy of this world and gauge our value based on that. Wanting what they have so badly that we convince ourselves that we need it even though we really just want it. See, the point for us is not about poverty on the one hand or being a multimillionaire on the other. The point for us is what we value and what we glory in. Again, it's not wrong to have material wealth. But what is it that you find your worth in? What is it that makes you happy? Or if you don't have those earthly possessions, do you pursue those things because you think that's what will make you happy? If you truly find joy in Christ and you find your glory in your salvation and your relationship with God, you wouldn't even think those thoughts. It's like anything in life. If you are so happy with your job in every aspect... You don't answer the call of the headhunter. You don't send out your resume. You don't have a wandering eye if you are fully fulfilled and happy with your spouse. And if you find your joy in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to look to the world for happiness and fulfillment. What do you think about? What do you work on? you think about and work toward those things the things of the world more than you think about and work toward the glory of Jesus Christ holiness what is it that you're trying to fill your life with that you are now filling your life with because you think it'll make you happy that you think it'll make you accepted that you think it'll make you part of the status quo of this world is it dining a certain way is it traveling to a specific place? It is, is it the latest fashions? Is it moving to a certain zip code? Again, those things in and of themselves are not wrong, but is it what drives you? Are these the things that are challenging your relationship with Christ, that are putting a wedge between you and your spouse? We need to stop seeing our worth based on what the world assigns, but on what the Lord has purchased. We're in it for the long haul. We know that an eternity is involved here. And we have to have an eschatological perspective to focus on what truly matters. To focus on the wealth that is eternal. That is not passing. That will not fade away we need to focus on eternity. We need to focus on serving God. We need to focus on serving one another. We need to focus, in other words, on amassing wealth for eternity, not here on earth. Because when all is said and done, everything that you have amassed on earth will one day burn and perish and that leads us to our second motivation for the right kind of glory. We've seen the contrasting perspective. Now, the coming predicament, the coming predicament. Look at the second half of verse 10 through the end of the passage. He says, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass And its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Later on in James, he will tag the rich as those who are responsible in part for the persecution of the Christians. In this context, he is speaking of believers and not the persecuted, um, persecuting, unbelieving rich. So here, James now explains not so much why the rich man should glory in Christ rather than his riches. He's explaining why boasting in riches is foolish. And in so doing, he provides incentive and encouragement for the poor to not look to the rich with any sort of envy or desire. The picture that James provides is from the realm of nature. Often in the Old Testament, as well as in Christ's teachings, nature is used to illustrate both the bad and the good in human life. And as we look at this picture, it is quite self-explanatory. But what underlies it all is that God is so sovereign over all nature. And from there, we look at his specific teaching. See, James compares the rich to the flowering grass. Many of us have lawns with no flowers. It's a different type of plant that he's talking about. These are wildflowers that would have been found all over the hillsides in the Middle East. So picture a field or a a hill out in nature rather than a manicured suburban lawn. And that field is a beautiful sight. It's lush and green, speckled with all varieties of colors. It's well documented that the hills of Galilee have been Described as carpeted with all sorts of various flowers. And some of us have seen places like this out in nature. And to be sure, it does give you a sense of peace. It gives you a sense of happiness. You see, in no way is James saying that lush lush vegetation is evil. He's not saying riches are evil. What he is saying is that they are temporary. So why put your faith in something that is temporary when you as a believer have something so essential to your very being that is forever? You see, in the Middle East, as soon as the sun comes out and the infamous blistering hot wind of the Middle East known as the Shiraco, as soon as that blows, that wind can last for three or four days. The precious petals of the flowers and the vibrant green of the blades of grass turn brown and then they disappear. They are scorched, they are withered, they are gone. And as quickly as they appeared, even quicker do they die. And so is the fragility and transience of material wealth. Here one minute and gone the next. Just like the return of the flowers on those fields the next spring, so another man after you will gain wealth. But he too, like so many before him, will die and will not take a single penny with him. And so the cycle continues with a twofold lesson from James. The destruction, like with the hot wind, is complete and swift. And secondly, it is inevitable. As the flower goes, so goes the rich man's wealth. And we're not talking here about thieves or stock market volatility, although such things are represented in Scripture. He's talking about death. He's talking about the fact that we all die and compared to eternity, death comes quickly. You see, Christian or not, rich or poor, all material things are worthless on the day of judgment. The reason physical wealth is fleeting is because physical life is fleeting. The eternal resurrected body has no need of such things. There's no need for modern economic systems in a glorified new earth filled with perfect, sinless beings. You see, in our conventional thinking, we expect the poor to die and disappear and not last while somehow the rich will always be here. Not true in the bigger picture of God's plan as well as the basic realities of life. We all die. The only difference is the rich have wasted their life amassing things that will not last. There's another reality of life that James makes mention of. The rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. In the middle of him trying to get more wealth, he will die. Rare is the rich man who dies when he is at rest from toil. Because he thinks he never has enough. It's never enough for the rich man. There will always be the pursuit of greater gain. If not through actively working, then through gain from various investments and retirement. These pursuits are a way of life for him. And so, James says, it will be in the midst of these pursuits that he will fade away, taking nothing with him. This past week my children had monday off it was a holiday and we just got in the car and said we're going to drive and go find just kind of spur of the moment do some fun things and my children decided that they wanted to visit the grave of their sister now now we're not the type who stand at that grave and pray or talk there's she's in heaven there's no reason to do that there's not even any mourning there and so what we do is we tend to walk around the cemetery and kind of look at the headstones and, you know, it's nice and green. There's deer running around. And I started looking at the dates. And some of these people, 30, 40 years old. And then some, you say, wow, the numbers are very different there. You start calculating, 101. And when you compare that to 40 101 in a cemetery, that's nothing. That's very short. That's a very short life compared to eternity. We need to understand how short life is and how short of a time we have to glorify and serve God in a unique way before we are in heaven. To earn reward in heaven. We are so tempted these days to keep up with the Joneses. When you are tempted to do that as a believer, I want you to take heart. Because James is telling you that you are to take pride in your exalted status as one who has been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Ephesians 2.6 You don't need to pursue the fading flowers of this world. And to those of you who have much, take heed that you do not think too much of yourself. I want to say, by the way, that no matter what's going on through your mind, if you're eating three meals a day and you have more than two or three changes of clothing, you have much. You may not have as much as what you want, or what the next guy, or even some coworkers with the same job, but you're not begging. You're not starving. Your biggest concern is not whether or not you'll live on the streets next week. Your biggest concern is can we save enough of my income to buy that house? We have much, and we need to not think too much of ourselves. Because of our social status or because of our material possessions, these things are destined to fade away forever, leaving your children to have to one day deal with what once was your valuables is now is their trash. What are you going to do with all this stuff? Call those guys. Thankfully, there's those companies now that just bring professional people that just and those big dumpsters. The, junk kings or whatever. and Just throw it all away. Have an estate sale. Whatever. And these people come. You know that's worth a lot more. Just take it. We, just, it it's, we don't have time for this. Take it. Take it. Take it. Take it. Anything we don't sell, we're going to throw away. Just trash now. A lifetime of collecting. Friends, we are to boast in our humble status as the redeemed of one who was despised and rejected by this world. I mean this in the truest sense of the word, not as condescending, not as mean. It is pathetic. Pathetic means something that is is worth feeling bad about. You feel bad for someone. I truly feel sad to see how hard some Christians try to attain earthly wealth and status. They try so hard to the detriment of their spiritual walks, to the detriment of their service to the church, to the detriment of their marriages and the raising of their children nobody else in the entirety of the world should understand the futility of such things more than christians and from the perspective of wealth god is very good to us at the very basic level of of needs and necessities he promises that he will prov- he will provide he promises that we will not go hungry And the possessions he grants us to help, he does this to help us deal with the pain of living outside of his physical presence in a world that is dark and dying. That's what they're for. They're to help us survive another day until he takes us home. These things are not to be used so that we long for this life more than the next. But to hear how some people think and see how they live, you would be led to believe they are not living for eternity. They're living for the here and now. Again, you don't have to feel bad if the Lord has made it so that you are wealthy, so that you are rich. It is God's absolute right and prerogative to give if He so desires. What is wrong is to put our faith in riches and to long for riches more than the glory of Jesus Christ. How silly it is to long for something that will burn and fade away in place of longing for that which is eternal and never-ending. But we want to make sure that our thinking is right. We, we like to hear these passages and say, no, this is just for those people who are multi-millionaires. Not so. We need to be careful and understand what God is saying here. This is not necessarily about being frugal. There are those who are very frugal. And they save, save, save. Friends, this does not mean that you are automatically viewing riches in a biblical way. Christ's condemnation of riches in Matthew 6 is illustrated by the person who stores up save, save, save treasures on earth which can include buying a lot of stuff but it can also include just having that huge buffer in your bank account. In other words, being stingy or cheap can just as much be the love of money as being extravagant and wasteful. It's about your heart. We can also have the wrong perspective by justifying disobedience in order to pay the bills. Just because that disobedience is normal in the world or even in the church. No, it's normal to do that if you want a house. It's normal to do that if you want to have drive to work. Sacrificing your God-designed and God-given role to work rather than focus on home, husband, and kids, ladies. Raising your kids to prioritize worldly success over spiritual holiness. You know, oftentimes it's more than just wanting to survive. Things like a lack of commitment to the local church because of a constant pursuit of worldly enjoyment. There's nothing wrong with taking a vacation here and there, but when you are... Having fun traveling so much that you're not even, people are wondering if you're even part of the church anymore. It's come to my attention that there are people, Christians, who actually spend more money eating out or on travel than they do giving to the church or to others. And that's just mind blowing to me. But apparently, that's normal these days on luxury items. And the list goes on. Where does your glory lie? What is your view of this world on wealth, on riches? Nowhere in scriptures does it talk about have enough wealth so that your children and your children's children can survive materialistically the inheritance that we are called to give to our children is that of a spiritual nature. We're called to raise them up in a way that honors God. And that's what's going to matter. But what do we think about? We think about colleges and success and making sure they master the the STEM academics. That's good. We need to take care of those things. Are you more concerned that they're memorizing their multiplication tables than you are about memorizing Scripture? Are you more concerned that they're on time for school because now it's on their permanent record than you are that they're on time for church, or Sunday school? Or just to a birthday party to show respect for other people out of biblical love. I get it. It's a temptation. It is hard. And those, those of you who have been around, you understand how I feel about this. If the Lord allows, according to your finances, take that vacation to Europe, take that vacation to Hawaii, go on that cruise eat those steaks. That's fine. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about doing those things to the detriment of your perspective of eternal things. Not just where your heart is, but even what you do with your checkbook. If you hear this, you're like, nah, this is just another church it's another money grab for the church. I bet he's going to announce the offering box later. There's nothing much I can do about that, but you've missed the whole point. I don't get a bonus. I don't get a raise. No one, I mean, it's, I'm concerned about your heart. I'm concerned about where your heart lies. You say, well, why do you always bring up material things? Why do you always got, you're bumming me out can't even go on a nice date night anymore because i feel like i'm wasting money you know why i talk about so much it's called expository preaching it's the same reason i don't preach much on angels because i emphasize what this book emphasizes and this book speaks of money more times than it speaks of heaven and hell combined God knows it's an issue. God knew it would be an issue. He sees it. Enjoy life to the glory of God, but just be so careful. Be so careful where you put your faith and your boast and your glory. Two motivations for the right kind of glory. The contrasting perspective and the coming predicament. But the brother of humble circumstances is the glory in his high position. And the rich man is the glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. So what is the right kind of glory? Glory. The one that lasts. Because the one that lasts is the only one that matters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your kindness to us and helping us understand how distinct we are from the world. We want to be different in the world from the world in terms of our values. And Lord, I know that finance is money, stuff is such a temptation. We thank you, Lord, that you provide for our needs and for all of us here well beyond that. But I pray that we would view it properly, that we would find where the value in such things really lies and the use of it for your glory. I pray that you would guard us against arrogance and boasting in ourselves, whether it's a a form of legalism or finding confidence in what you have given us in terms of material wealth. Help us to use our riches for your glory. Help us to, to Lord, I just pray that everyone in this church would experience the joy of giving sacrificially. The joy of giving money away to have that freedom, to have that release, to have that joy of obedience. Father, guard us from the love of money, for we know we cannot serve you and money. Guard us from envying those who are rich, lusting after the things that they have. Help us to be content. And beyond that, help us to find joy. And the only thing that matters, to find our boast, our glory, our everything in you. I pray these things in
0: Jesus' name.